How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places? Yeah, I have to say, now we are in peace with this. But (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now by following the link in the show notes, and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together. Spaces Podcasts. Go beyond the everyday, because spaces shape society. The architecture profession has changed significantly in regards to the tools that we use, largely driven by the technological advancements over the last 50 years. While they are still used intermittently, drafting supplies, model making equipment, sketching instruments, and drawing utensils as delivery methods have been replaced by computer-aided design and building information management software, CAD and BIM. To coordinate the use of these tools across a firm, it is important to develop a set of standard operating procedures, or SOPs. SOPs are a set of step-by-step instructions to help workers carry out routine operations. The intent is to achieve efficiency, quality, and consistency. I'm Jeffrey Lee, and this is Emerging, a Gable Media podcast. We've all worked in various firms. We're coming from three different firms at the moment but none of us really had a ton of experience in business development or project management or anything in the partnership type role. So a lot of that stuff we found we had to set up from scratch. I hate spreadsheets. We got to a point for a minute there and it was like, let's solve every problem with a new Google Sheet. And I was like having a meltdown. This is the podcast where you'll hear what it's really like to start a new architecture firm. So far this season, We've discussed our origin story, explored business models, shared our branding process, identified our business structure, discussed legal and risk management considerations, illuminated the financial aspects of a firm, and considered ways to find work. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes to hear the full, unfiltered story behind our journey to start an architecture firm. In the previous episode, our experience on the Lily Lane project identified a number of workflow and process issues that we needed to work on. Today, we'll walk you through our thought process on selecting tools and establishing SOPs for our firm. Having collectively accrued years of experience from various offices, our initial challenge was bringing that knowledge together and fine-tuning it into our own process. The funny thing at, at working at a lot of offices, you, you get exposed to a lot of offices like aren't aren't really set up or don't have necessarily the means to have a full-time BIM manager. Or each PM likes to do it their own way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Each PM within an office might want to 
do it a different way, which is is something that gets frustrating and causes kind of chaos and throughout the office because you learn one way and then you go to another project team and you do something totally different. So those standards are things that I think we acknowledge we will need to continue to set up. But again, going back to the software, Revit, which is you know huge in the industry, is just cost prohibitive for the small startup firms. And that's where a lot of the kind of project-related standards are. So we, we haven't been diving into that just because we can't afford to purchase Revit. So we're making deal with Rhino, which is fantastic software. But even within that, I think we need to find ways to kind of represent our brand and representation, which we're still working through. Yes, because all three of us have very different graphic styles. I mean, you look at our portfolios and you can very quickly tell that we have very different styles. So yeah, we're still ironing it out. We're trying not to make one person, you know, like Lexi has great graphical styles. I, I mean, and so, but we always don't want to make her the, you do the boards every time. So setting up these SOPs will definitely help out with being able to share those kind of responsibilities. Right. And and in InDesign, Lexi, maybe that's something you can speak to more because I think you took the first shot at kind of setting up a template for our InDesign so that when we go to do a project, the boards, the fonts and all that stuff are loaded up. Yeah, but we changed that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's changed. We change it a lot. But yeah, I mean, having something to open that's ready to go, it also helps us, you know, be more efficient the next time we go to do it, obviously, which is the point of having these kind of things set up in place in the first place at any office. But I don't know. I mean, we're constantly changing it. We'll be like, oh, that that worked well. That didn't work well. We just did an RFP with our friend Alicia of Studio AOA. And she's like an InDesign whiz. So then I was picking up some of the, her little tricks along the way. So it's something that's always like evolving. Cost and efficiency were a big factor in our decision-making process for tools. You just said something about Revit and it's making me realize like if we were to get work, there's a whole discussion about what kind of system we're going to use and what that's going to cost. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like the big projects, definitely Revit is kind of well, written into the contract, right? I know, but like, like for example, like Michael, I know, shopped around and he chose ArchiCAD for the cost reason because it's only like $3,000 or something. Yeah. ArchiCAD. Let's let's cross that bridge when we get there. I I know, I'm just saying, have it in the back of your mind because Revit costs a lot of money. (laughs) Revit costs a ton of money. Yeah. And that's, that's probably the software I would like to use just because I already know it. But at the same time, we're probably- we all had Rhino, I think, from school, right? I had some Adobe software, but otherwise, I think we did a lot of research on uh, what free software we could use. I don't know that we ended up what there are a few things like the whole Google Suite, Google Docs, Google Excel. Uh, we've got a million Excel files and lists and ongoing forever and ever but uh, in terms of tools and sops i guess like on the design and production side we're all very experienced right we've all done this a million times so on that side it was more about fine-tuning our procedures so you know what works between the three of us and what's how can we be more efficient i think we had talked about like rotating design lead on different projects we got into this habit of doing these like 30 minute one hour charrette sprints which you found to be very productive 
during our competitions, I think it's the last one we did, we did a lot of assessment on the competition we had done before that and found that we'd been spending a lot of time on it. So we tried to make this ideally like a weekend charrette, this competition. Obviously, it took a, more than just one weekend. But in that process of trying to fine tune our entire process, we got in this habit of, you know, we discuss and we get to a point we had to have like this design iteration. So we would jump off the call for 30 minutes to an hour and we would do these quick iterations and we come back to the table, the three of us. And I guess that's a huge benefit with working with two other partners, right? You got these, you got three different people that work very, think very differently in that aspect. So be able to break out, do these quick charades, come back to the table, um, we found to be very productive. And I guess back to maybe like the different drawing generation tools, like in terms of Rhino, AutoCAD, Revit, ArchiCAD is another one I know that's out there. We've sort of looked at all of them. And at a lot of our, at least for me, at most of my jobs, I think it's similar for them. Revit is like the primary drawing tool, but for an office of three people (laughs) and trying to like one pay for that tool, but also it requires a huge amount of upfront work that like for small scale works hasn't made sense so far for the type of things we have done because it just requires so much legwork to have like the template to start from. So that's a real prohibitive thing. You know, I've recently, I talked to another small office and they use ArchiCAD and a good friend of ours actually uses used ArchiCAD for his own house project he was doing too. But that's a much more like easily entried program, it sounds like. We haven't actually used it, but it also has a lower cost of entry. So, you know, we've stuck to Rhino because the scale which we've worked at is, one, it's been more experimental, and two, it's been really small, and so it's manageable in that format. But, like, should we go on to, like, basically anything bigger, <laughs> you know, when we do? We're going to have to like make a decision and either bite the bullet and do a bunch of front loading work with Revit, or maybe we'll do ArchiCAD because it's a lower barrier of entry, it seems like. But no matter what, it's going to be like another step forward in terms of like back production, not just production on the own, on the work itself for that particular project. Beyond drawing programs, there are also collaboration tools that we use or have considered. There's a couple other softwares that we can hit on. I think Adobe providing kind of monthly yeah. accounts is a helpful tool for us as well, where we don't have to kind of sign on or we can kind of check it out as needed and share one account and just manage who's in it at what time. And then another big one, which we've really grown to love is Miro, which kind of, especially working by coastal that gives us an opportunity to kind of do pinups to sketch in front of each other in a way that we can all see they offered a, a free account, which lets you have kind of three different boards. And we've just been making do with that for the time being. But I think that's been really critical for all of our competitions and, and just uh, working remotely in general. Oh, yeah. We love Miro. We can plug them for free. <laughs> it's <laughs> M-I-R-O. <laughs> I think they, what's their motto? I don't know, dude. The visual collaboration <laughs> platform for every team. Well, it's great though. It's like an online pinup space. So when when we need like, oh, these are references. Oh, this is where the design deck is at at the moment. 
oh, this is the one sheet I updated today. Let me swap it out. Like, and then we can all check in on it at our leisure as projects are going on to kind of stay in communication visually instead of just like texting about a million things. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. When it comes to SOPs, our approach has been practical, developing procedures as needed. We've all worked in various firms. We're coming from three different firms at the moment, but none of us really had a ton of experience in business development or project management or anything in the partnership type role. So a lot of that stuff we found we had to set up from scratch and we've kind of been doing that on an as needed basis. So when we had somebody come to us with a potential client, we'd do some research on what we need to ask, you know, because finding a client is kind of a two-way street. You want to make sure you're you're a good fit. So it's kind of a two-way interview process where they're talking to you and you're also trying to weed out what they're looking for and if you're a good fit to do the project with them. So we'd come up with kind of a questionnaire on that front. And then there's things like that along the way around project management, annual schedules, project specific schedules, things of that nature. So as they come up, we've been kind of discovering them and then we'll kind of make some kind of template and save a blank version in our folder for standard operating procedures. I think Jeff also uh, touched on some of the software related issues. Software obviously is a tool that we need in our industry, but it's also quite cost prohibitive. So we tried to kind of work with what we had, which was the Rhino license that we had from our school days. And then I think in doing projects, we quickly realized that we needed to set up things in, in those files as well, like CAD templates and title blocks, line weights, et cetera. And that's something like the rest we're kind of figuring out as we go, because if we just dedicated a bunch of time to it ahead of time, we wouldn't have time to focus on other things. And I think also we don't know everything that we need until it kind of comes up. We have tapped into some of the Entree Architect resources as we've needed to. 
to kind of help us build uh, some of our own versions of those. So that's been helpful. In developing the SOPs that we have, we found that there's definitely a collective love-hate relationship for spreadsheets. I hate spreadsheets and I can't, like, we have we got to a point for, at, for a minute there and it was like, let's solve every problem with a new Google Sheet. And I was like having a meltdown. <laughs> but that's also coming from when we were introduced to Entree Architect, we each kind of broke out and took a certain section of it. And my section was listening to some of his, like, the basics of like doing some of these things. And one of those chapters in there was like being efficient with your sheets. And so we've definitely whittled down like what are the ones that are most helpful to us? What are the ones that help us like stay on track? It's definitely a great tool for that to track where we've been, make a note about the date, the time, who who's on it, and we can reference back to it because inevitably we all forget. So to a degree we need a tool like that but like we were coming up with spreadsheets for like everything and at a certain point it's like okay we need to track some of this but also like it's clunky and so maybe google sheets is better because we can all edit it live but like it's not the most friendly and graphically friendly because we're all like at least for me I'm a graphic visual thinker. And so some of those kind of tools are really hard to wrap my head around and read them in an efficient way. So I don't know. Maybe I'm going on about this, but the freaking spreadsheets drive me (laughs) insane. They still drive me insane. The the anger is not coming through in your voice, which we've all heard about the sheets. (laughs) No, I'm trying to be democratic about it. Lexi's on one side of the spectrum. I think I'm on the other where... Chris loves a spreadsheet. I, I love I love a good spreadsheet. But in reality, I, I, I fully get the uh, frustration as well. And there's lots of software out there to help manage that in a more graphic way. Again, like we just had to kind of weigh what we could afford. And using Google Docs and, and Google Sheets was what was manageable at the time. We try to make them as graphically clean as possible. And Lexi is right. We, we probably went overboard. But in doing so, we, we found the ones that are really critical for us. I think just to highlight a few, we have our open items, which is like color coded and tracks priority of, of things that we have to do. It assigns a task to a specific person, a deadline, and then we can check in on it you know, weekly and more often than not just move the deadline because we haven't gotten it done. <laughs> we have our, our client relationship management, CRM, I think that's what it stands for, which is another that one's out of control. I, I don't think we can have figured that one out. I can't handle that one. I hate that one. <laughs> but it's it's a place where we're dropping all our contacts, emails, people at different businesses that we want to reach out to and follow up with. That's a work in progress and we'll have to find a better way to do that. We have our annual schedule in a spreadsheet. We have our project specific schedules in a spreadsheet. For a while, we were doing timesheets, not because we were billing. <laughs> but- so ridiculous. so ridiculous but to track our hours so that when we were putting together fees we would have a better sense of what it takes to do a competition or a project and we did that i don't know maybe six nine months and then we all just got overwhelmed and and kind of scrapped that and then what else We, we have our budget and finance spreadsheets so we can track you know what we are looking to purchase and what we have spent money on 
some of them, you know, we check once a month. Some of them we check every time we're on the phone together. But I think those are some of the big ones that have kind of proven to be necessary. Yeah. There are tools that are out there, though, that we also looked at, like Asana, I know was mm-hmm. one, or, you know, like those newer, like kind of time tracking tools. Mm-hmm. And we did look at those, but it was another thing like, do we want to spend money on this thing also? And not just yeah, money, right? Not just money, like but getting time familiar. learning how to use it. And yeah. maybe at some point, if we have bigger projects, that'll be more useful. But at the moment, it's too, it's too, it's another barrier of entry thing because we don't have enough to like make that worthwhile, at least in my opinion. Yeah. We looked at monday.com. Monday yeah. Too. That was another one. Yeah. Slack, all, all great softwares, but it was just. Then we have data living in another place and another place, and it was just too much to really bring together. When it comes to all this stuff, like yes, the spreadsheets, it's it's killer. But you know, it's you, we have to write it all down somewhere, and we have to organize it in some fashion. So we've got what like fifty different spreadsheets, all tracking different oh things. But yeah, so it's it's very <laughs> stressful. But even you know the open items when we came, we kept coming back to because it's you know assigning tasks, and even that was, I mean, we'd be our weekly meetings, it'd be just almost an hour and a half of going through that open items list. And it was just, it became very overwhelming and almost counterproductive. So as we're obviously growing and learning to do this thing, because remember we're full-time employed and we're doing this, we're we're spread thin thin, trying to do all this at the same time. So it's a lot of triage and doing what you can with, with whatever free time you have. So like Chris said, you know, a lot of the open items meetings was just pushing back the date. So all that said, you know, it, we we learned to be more efficient with it, with how we organized it. There's still some spreadsheets that, you know, like the networking, the outreach. Obviously, we want to have a a log of all of that, but how we take advantage of it, I, I think we're we're kind of coming around to this year a big push in on the marketing side of things. So we need to do it. I don't know where I sit in that spectrum. Probably somewhere in the middle. It doesn't stress me out too much, but I'm do not love a great spreadsheet. I mean, <laughs> I, I appreciate one, but don't look forward to it. As we crafted our SOPs and meticulously selected tools, we came across a number of lessons to share, particularly understanding that tools and processes are ever evolving. Take it as it comes, do research <laughs> as things come up, uh, save a blank template, there have been a few times where we kind of build out a template and forget to save the blank one and then we fill it all out and then you got to spend time kind of deleting and wiping it out and test what works and we are constantly modifying our our SOP documents based on what we found to work or what we could improve. Well, and do research, you know, look into some of these resources like Entree Architect or, you know, mm-hmm. if you have friends that are willing to share maybe some of their templates or, you know, as we've worked on certain things, we've saved, you know, if we've worked with somebody and they shared us one of their RFPs to be like a reference, you know, we don't use that, but we look back at it to say, oh, how did they do it? And then of course you've got to do it your own way. So maybe it's coming across everywhere, but we do a lot of research about how to, we like to be over-prepared maybe at the beginning of something. So, but then in doing that, we end up finding where how we'd like it to be so it's just a lot of testing i think one other thing too is that 
because we are a visual and, and graphic industry, it's important that your your SOPs kind of speak to that as well. Uh, like maybe not just use a Times Roman font for all your stuff. I think our our first RFP that we did, it, it was a great learning experience, but it was def- I think it was pulled together in Microsoft Word maybe. And in working with other people, you, you know, that was what we could do at the time. We were learning through the process. It had all the information that it needed to, but in terms of, you know, making us look like a brand and and kind of a cohesive, kind of well thought out RFP, I think we had room to grow there. So definitely make sure your brand is present in the doc in the SOP items that are going out the door. Totally. Cause we're in the business of like visual design. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you go to get your nails done and the nail lady has like really crazy nails and you're like, Oh wow. She knows what she's doing. Or like if she doesn't and there's, it's whatever you're like, Oh, is she going to know how to do this? Tell me about know. it. Yeah. You guys, your nails, no, no, right? Totally. I get it. I get it. I'm serious. And <laughs> honestly, so I, I think they, you know, people that's even without realizing it, people are looking for that yeah. just to have some kind of confirmation with their own, you know, eyes. Before we wrap up, as we approach our season finale, we would love to hear from you. Have a question or feedback? You can send us an email or a 30 second audio clip to be included in our wrap up bonus episode. Share your thoughts about the podcast, your experience starting a firm, or ask us anything. Please use the link in the show notes and send your email or audio clip by December 8th, 2023. Now, one of the tools that we didn't discuss much today was Squarespace, which we used for our website design. And in our last episode, we received feedback on our website from Brian McCartney, who provided notes from the perspective of finding work. We'll revisit our website once more from the perspective of marketing and messaging. And I can't wait to share that with you next time on Emerging. Yeah. So for example, with your website, this welcome to level studio architecture, without sounding harsh, it's a little bit of wasted website real estate because this is where you need to have something that really, really draws them in and tells people that, hey, you're in the right place. Thanks for listening. Emerging is a Gable Media podcast. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps. And if you're looking for similar content, you can find even more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And before we go, if you want to jump ahead and find out more about us and our practice, you can visit us at lvl.studio. From historic homes to modern architecture, brick is one of the most popular building materials around the world. How to allow the house to bridge the gap between the history of the site, the approachability of this kind of architecture in this kind of neighborhood, and the sort of nostalgia of materiality for for the client's past, right? And, And brick really started to provide an answer for that. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. There aren't many materials that easily blend with any style and context, but brick does just that. I've seen some extraordinary work with brick, so when Glenn Gary approached me about hosting this podcast, I couldn't say no. 
typically Tudor style houses from outside are just stunningly gorgeous piece of structure. And when you go in, it's just sad, yeah. dark. And that is not going to happen with my approach to design. I speak with industry leaders and share inspiring stories behind their work and ingenious design. You'll see brick that's fashioned into basket weave patterns, sawtooth patterns, what's known in England as diapering. Doesn't sound like you knew them per se, right? They found you through relationships that you had with other. Well, wait, Doug, there's more. Okay. <laughs> we'll go behind the scenes to understand process and even the inspiration that sparked the design. You know, I think we were inspired by all the factory buildings in, in Dumbo. I mean, that is the kind of period of significance, that early American factory building. Design Vault by Glenn Gary. Visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault or search for Design Vault wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now to stretch your imagination.